Welcome to the Love Reaching Community's Sermon of the Week. For more information pertaining to the life of the church, please visit our website at lrcchurch.co.za. Morning, LRC. Lovely to be up here and such a privilege for me to share God's word this morning. Um, I have a friend <laughs> who we were chatting one day about the Holy Spirit and she said to me, you know, sometimes I feel the Holy Spirit so tangibly on me that I just say to him, can you just get off a little bit so that I can breathe? <laughs> I feel a bit like that this morning. <laughs> can you just get off a little bit so that I can breathe? Um, and I'm very grateful for his, his tangible presence even here with us this morning. Um, we are working through the book of Exodus. It has been an exciting journey. Um, it's been wonderful to see and to hear what God wants to say through this book. So this morning I will be speaking on chapter 19 to 24. I know it's very long. I was like, Lord Jesus, how do we fit all of that into 30 minutes? But um, it is a beautiful portion of Scripture. And we start in chapter 19 where it's about 50 days after the Israelites left Egypt. And they now get to that mountain, that mountain where God met with Moses in a burning bush, that same mountain. In Exodus 3 verse 12, he said, this is God, but I will be with you and this shall be the sign for you that I have sent you when you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. Isn't it amazing when God speaks to us and then we see it? Like God said, I will worship him with all these millions of Israelites at this mountain. And this is that moment. They are at the foot of the mountain. I think Moses must have felt so excited and so, wow, God, we actually did this. After all my stumbling and falling and not wanting to do this, we are here with all the people of Israel. It's amazing. Then after this, in chapter 19, I'm just quickly going through chapter 19. At this point, God also reminds them of what he brought them out of and that you are my treasured possession. God says those words in chapter 19 when you go and read it. And then after he reminds them of what he brought them out of, he says, get ready for the third day. And when he said, get ready for the third day, he said, consecrate yourselves. So consecrate basically means to dedicate themselves or to make themselves um, holy for a higher purpose. That is what God is asking of them, yeah. So get ready for the third day. So in these three days, they washed themselves. There was a specific instruction that um, there was not allowed to be any sexual intercourse between men and women. So this was a way, an outward way of consecrating themselves. And then in Exodus 19, verse 16 and 17, on the morning of the third day, there were thunders and lightning and a thick cloud on the mountain and a very loud trumpet blast so that all the people in the camp trembled. Then Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet God and they took their stand at the foot of the mountain. What an incredible sight that must have been. A mountain, you know, mountains are pretty stable, guys. You, you don't move mountains. 
But there's this trembling of a mountain and there's smoke and trumpets and lightning and clouds and stuff. The glory of God on display. God wanted to show himself to this nation. He wanted to make himself visible. He makes it very clear in verse 12, if you go and read 19 verse 12, that please just tell the people don't touch the mountain because then they're going to die. Because I am God and they are not. Basically, they are unholy. They are not without sin and I'm this holy God. So they cannot touch the mountain. But they, they see God on display. They see his splendor and his glory. You see, chapter 19 is all about God wanting to explain to this nation and show them that I want to be visible in your life. I want to be there. I want you to see me and experience me, even though it has to be from a distance, like you can't come up the mountain and touch the mountain. Only certain people could go up the mountain. Only Moses could go into the cloud right at the end, and God was gracious and allowed him that. I want to ask God one day, why Moses, Lord? Well, yeah, I'd like to ask him that. Um, but everyone saw him on display in chapter 19. This is beautiful. Verse 18 says, now, the, now Mount Sinai was wrapped in smoke because the Lord had descended on it in fire. The smoke of it went up like the smoke of kiln, and the whole mountain trembled greatly. Again, his glory on display. The Lord came down on Mount Sinai to the top of the mountain. Like he didn't have to ascend the mountain. He had to come down to the mountain. That is how big our God is. He had to come down. We have to go up. But he comes to us. He, he lowers himself to come and meet with the people. Then while this is all happening, Moses is on the mountain and, and God says to Moses, okay, go back down. Tell the people don't touch the mountain. He's like, but God, we've already, we've established this. We told the people don't touch the mountain. God says, go and tell them again, don't touch the mountain. Do you know if God says that they were probably wanting to touch the mountain? I'm just saying. They were comfortable to maybe just try and touch the mountain. So Moses obeys God and he goes down and he says to them again, don't touch the mountain. And he says to the elders, you need to consecrate yourselves. It's again that making holy process. This is, it comes up over and over again in chapter 19. And then at the end of chapter 19, God introduces the law for the very first time. Um, I wanted to say at this point, when you go and research these things, you know, I always, I can pick on them because they know I love them. But Lainey and Johanna has got knowledge like, don't you sometimes look at them and think, wait, you see, I don't know where, where do they store all the knowledge? But I'm so grateful for people like Michael Eaton, <laughs> um, who has such beautiful things about this portion of scripture. And I remember Lainey saying to us one day in Bible study, you know what, it's important to go and look at those people and what they say. They are knowledgeable. You don't have to hear everything for yourself from God. That's why God uses these people to, to expound on the word to us and to help us understand it. And just looking at some of Michael Eaton's work on this, has been, it has expounded my thinking and how I look at this portion of Scripture. And um, 
just, yeah. So a lot of what is in here is, is stuff that he also said and came up with. And this is one of the things that he says. He says that there's, there's many covenants that God makes with his people. So one of the covenants is a covenant of generosity. Um, this is when the senior partner, so the main chief sitting bull, is generous to a junior partner, and he swears to convey a blessing of some kind of, of some sort. Um, Genesis 15, he does this for Abraham. When he makes a covenant with Abraham and he says to him, you will have children as numerous as the stars in the sky and the sand of the sea. That is a covenant of generosity. The senior partner imposes blessing on the junior partner. Then there's also something called a mutual covenant. A mutual covenant is, is when both parties are equal. So we are equal in status. We are equal in value. We are equal in the oath-taking process of the covenant. And the thing that we can never mistake is that we can never have a mutual covenant with God. He's always greater. He's always bigger. He's always better. He always sees the beginning from the end. He's always better. And then there's this covenant that God now comes and makes with these people from chapter 20 basically to chapter 23 verse something around the end. He makes a covenant of law. Now a covenant of law is this. The senior partner, who is God, imposes his will on a junior partner. And then the junior partner takes an oath to say, yes, I will do what you have asked me to do. For the Israelites, it's, a, it's, it's obedience and loyalty that they have to give. So God says, I am imposing a law on you. This is the covenant of the law. You have to take an oath, and you now have to be obedient to this law. This happens at the beginning of chapter 20, and God gives the Ten Commandments. Okay, now here my confession comes. When I grew up, through my whole life, my understanding was is that Moses went up the mountain, got the Ten Commandments, came down, and then broke it because he got so angry because they were worshiping the calf and whatever, made out of gold. But if you go and research and look at commentaries, at this point here, when God starts speaking the Ten Commandments, it is not just Moses that can hear this. The entire nation hears God speak the law, the Ten Commandments. And he starts by saying, you may not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. You shall not have any gods beside me. You shall not take the name of your, oh, sorry. Honor your father and your mother. Keep the Sabbath. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You, sh you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You shall not covet. The Ten Commandments. And then from chapter 20, verse 22 to 23, verse 33, we get the book of the covenant, which is more laws that God spoke. So he says, laws about the altars, Laws about the slaves, laws about restitution, about social justice, Sabbaths and festivals. And then the conquest of Canaan is, is promised again. But in that portion, it tells you if you are obedient. So there's that obedience again. 
It was so refreshing to read Michael Newton say, this is very hard reading. If you just want to skip it, you can. I was like, oh, yes, I like that. <laughs> but I did read it through everything. So we are not going to focus on the laws this morning. We are not. But we are, I want, to, I want us to look at why the law was important. Why the law? Like really? Was, it, was there purpose to this law? Before we do that, listen to this verse in Exodus 9, 19 verse 4. You yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you on eagle's wings and brought you to myself. This is now in chapter 19 when God reveals his glory. He hasn't introduced the law yet and he says this to the nation. You see, with the covenant of law, God could just impose the law and they had to take the oath and obey. But before God imposes that law, he reminds them what he brought them out of before there was any law. He shows them. He says, you are, I, I, I brought you out on eagle's wings. And it says, and I brought you to myself. That was the purpose. To bring the people to him. So now I'm going to impose this law on you, but on the back of, you are mine. You are mine. Then God gives all these laws. I've got four points under, so we're just going to look a bit at this law. Why the law? Why was it fallible? Why, was it, why couldn't it be the plan forever? Like, what, why? And, um, there's so many things if you go and look at why, but I felt God highlight these four for me. The first thing that I felt was that the nation of Israel really needed some boundaries. They needed structure, like we all do. They needed to know, okay, this is a way that you need to live. They needed the law. Can you imagine being in Egypt for all those years, yes, under slavery, but goodness me, you knew what was going to happen every day. You would get up, and then you would have to make so many bricks, and you would have to lay so many this, and then you would get whipped because you didn't do it, so you knew the consequences if you didn't. And there was very much structure to slavery. They knew what to expect every day. You see, and that is what we do. Some of us love slavery because at least it's familiar. It's a familiar place for us. We like to dwell there. We are yearning for the exodus. We want to get out of the situation, but don't take the familiarity of it away from me. See, the Lord does come and gives them some kind of structure. God understood that they needed some kind of structure. So now it's 50 days out of exodus, and they've really just been going by, okay, Moses says we must do this now because God said this, and then God splits the Red Sea, and then we go through, and they really just, they, they're just getting away, and then they reach the mountain. You know, um, we've got a child who's got a phlegmatic temperament. Everything needs to be right. She will kill herself doing things the right way. Because my teacher said I have to do it this way, 
I will take the 40 hours that kills my mother's soul and I will do it the right way. You know, for a, for a child like that, the law actually is very nice. They love it. They love to know what's right and wrong. and da, 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 da. They love the boundaries of the law. God understood that some of us don't like the boundaries, but we need them. And God understood that about his nation. The second thing that we need to see about the law is that it really was temporary. It, wasn't, it couldn't be a long-term goal. It was a temporary preserving measure. So God calls this nation of Israel and he looks after them and he holds them and he, and he brings them to this place. Yes, because he loves them. He did love this nation. He had a deep love for this nation. But greater than that, he had to preserve this nation because Jesus, the ultimate sacrifice, had to be born from this nation. Jesus had to come. The one who would redeem us had to come from this nation. So, He's a holy God that has this people. And he knows that Jesus has to come from this lineage. And how do I preserve this nation? I put a law in place for them so that they can somehow live by a holy standard. And then there's, there is this moment every year where they can make atonement for their sin when they take their sacrifice and God forgives their sin. But some of them didn't make it there, guys. Like, if they did some, for some of the things they did wrong, they had to get killed. Some of them got killed. But God preserves this nation for this Jesus that has to come. The third thing about the law is it really made the people fear God instead of love him. It's so interesting to see in chapter 19, there's the fire and the smoke and the lightning and the thunder and the trumpets. And, and how, I mean, God has to remind them, don't touch the mountain. That's how comfortable they are with the glory of God. Then in Exodus 20, verse 18 and 19, it says this. Now, when all the people saw the thunder and the flashes of lightning and the sound of the trumpet and the mountains and the smoking, does it sound familiar? Everything that was in chapter 19, the people were afraid and they trembled. Doesn't that strike you as odd? Now they're afraid. And they stood far off and said to Moses, you speak to us and we will listen, but do not let God speak to us, lest we die. The only thing that happened in chapter 20 is God introduced the law. He spoke what you cannot do. And it filled them with fear. We now Moses must speak. And Moses, Moses must be near the mountain. There was fear and trembling in them. And then we have Jesus that comes. And he dies for us. This ultimate sacrifice. And he fulfills this law that, that can fill you with so much fear of this God that expects it of you. And he fills you 
with a love for him that drives you to want to do the right things. Not because you fear him or fear the consequences, but because you love him. You see, that is what Jesus came and did. He took the fear out of the obeying of God. He filled us with a love so that we would want to obey him. And the last thing is that the law will always be a lower standard of living. And you can say, wow, really? You cannot eat this. You cannot wear this. You cannot do that. You cannot, that is a lower standard of living. Let's look at the Israelites. Let's think of the Israelites in the camp. So let's just take adultery as one of the things. You may not commit adultery. That's now one of the laws that are in place. So I know in our minds, I don't know why we think the Israelites were different to us, but really they were not. I think they fell into adultery very much the same way we would have. Like maybe she was washing her little clothes there next to the river and she, you know, her shirt was a little bit too revealing and he walked past and he was like, oh, that's a nice lady. And they started chatting and then they had this emotional connection that was unhealthy. And before they knew it, they slept together. And when everyone found out, they also kind of said, we don't know how this happened. Like, I think it was the same kind of process for them. But all they have is this, you may not do this. That's all they have. And once you've done it, this is what will happen to you. You see the law, when it was broken, you could see that it was broken and you could see, okay, this is going to be the consequence. Then, in Matthew 5, verse 28, Jesus says this, But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. And we're like, wow, that's a different way of thinking. This same Jesus, who is going to become the sacrifice for this sin that he's speaking about, introduces to us, what about what goes on in your heart? You see, the predicament of the Israelites is this. They've got the beautiful Passover moment in Egypt. And 50 days later, at this mountain, God gives them the law. You may or you may not. And if you do, this will happen. For us, Jesus comes and he dies on the cross and he is resurrected again. And 50 days later, he gives us the Holy Spirit. So that in our moment of temptation, where we look and we think, oh, that's nice. We can say, please help me, Jesus. Holy Spirit, please help me in my temptation. He gives us the Holy Spirit so that we can have this intimate moment with Jesus before we have to face the consequences of doing right or wrong. You see, all of a sudden, it's a higher standard of living than just do's and don'ts. It is a heart attitude. It is what is inside of us. It is what we think and what we meditate on. Imagine if that poor Israelite man had the opportunity to approach a Holy Spirit and say, please help me, I'm so tempted. Please be my strength. But they didn't have that. They just had this law that once you've done it, this will happen. But we, we have the Holy Spirit. We can live to a higher standard than just do's and don'ts. 
we can. The law is the lowest standard of living than a relationship with the living God. And then to end off with, in chapter 24, God confirms his covenant with Israel and their sacrifices and and stuff. And you can go and read it. It's really good. I had to say, God, what do you want to say? What do you want to highlight? And then in chapter 24, verse 15 to 18, it says this. Then Moses went up on the mountain and the cloud covered the mountain. The glory of the Lord dwelt on Mount Sinai and the cloud covered it for six days. And on the seventh day, he called to Moses out of the midst of the cloud. Now the appearance of the glory of the Lord was like a devouring fire on top of the mountain in the sight of the people of Israel. Moses entered the cloud and went up onto the mountain. And Moses was on the mountain for 40 days and 40 nights. You know, our children's Bibles makes you believe that when he went up into that mountain, God gave him the, the tablets with the Ten Commandments on it. And he did. He did give it to him. But in those 40 days, and this is the chapters what, that will follow now, God gives him what the tabernacle must look like. Where God's presence dwells. didn't just get the tablets there. He got what it was really about, the presence of God, the worship of this God. Only Moses. If you go and research it, you'll see when God spoke the Ten Commandments, when the nation could hear it, Moses and them were more, more or less in the same spot where they were when the bush was burning, when God spoke through the burning bush. This is much higher up. Only Moses went into the cloud. And there he was for 40 days. You see, the law and the do's and don'ts will always be a lower standard than the worship. It will always be a lower standard. Our worship to God is the highest. That is what he's looking for. Is the law good? Is it important? Yes, it is. It is but it was not God's ultimate plan. God's ultimate plan was that we would worship him with freedom in his presence. That is God's ultimate for us. Worship always exceeds the do's and the don'ts. That is what brings us close to God, not the fact that we did something right or wrong. It is our worship to him. So where are you this morning? That is the question. Is your tendency to like right and wrong? Is that wrong? No, it's not. But it cannot supersede a relationship with Jesus. It cannot supersede that you need him to live right and wrong, to live right from wrong. Worship is the ultimate place where he wants us. No longer a slave to fear. So I wonder, I'm going to ask Jermaine and them to come up. And can't we just sing that again? With this revelation that worship is how we draw close to him.
Worship is the ultimate goal. His presence, his glory on display was always the ultimate goal. It's always been his plan that we can be near to him. Jesus, we thank you for your sacrifice, that you became everything and fulfilled the law so that, so that we can approach your throne and that beautiful holy of holies with our do's and don'ts, but just with, here we are. Please forgive us our sin because you died on a cross for us.